0: Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Hi, this is Scott Thompson and welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, China, they are now suing Canada for the release of the Huawei CFO. Many wondered whether the SNC-Lavalin case would resonate with the average Canadian. Apparently it is. We do know right from wrong. And the first part of a Michael Jackson documentary aired on HBO, Leaving Neverland, and has a lot of fans questioning whether they still are fans of Michael Jackson. It's all coming up. Enjoy the show. Meg Wanzhou, the CFO of Huawei, suing the Canadian government now, the Canadian Border Services Agency and the RCMP, alleging there were serious breaches of her constitutional rights when she was detained in December. Uh, why is this happening now, uh, considering that this happened way back when? Let's bring in Joseph Newberger, Neuber, uh, a criminal lawyer with Neuberger Partners LLP, on the line now. Joseph, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
1: Oh, my pleasure. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well, thanks. Let's start with that. Why now? Why was this not raised when this all started way back when?
1: Well, there's, you know, they wouldn't have the full breadth of information until they received the statement of the case um, from the government, which would include border security uh, officers' notes and so that they could put together the timing of when she was uh, essentially detained, how long she was detained for, et cetera. So they would need some information that was provided by the Canadian government in order to do this, but it seems to me that once the decision was made um, that the uh, government would proceed with this, there must have been work um, that the lawyers were doing in the background to prepare this lawsuit. And it's it's interesting because claims for civil damages in a sort of a declaration of violation of our constitutional rights, that really isn't the motivating factor in my opinion because it's you know she's worth tons of money and that's not really what they want to achieve it seems to me to be an oblique attack on the extradition process and if they could get a finding through a civil court that in fact there was quite severe uh, violations of her charter rights that somehow that might influence um, a extradition court or uh, an appellate court or even the uh, justice minister when reviewing this
0: uh, so what are what is the actual basis of her lawsuit? What is she claiming? What are the charges?
1: Well, what she's saying is that she was um, taken off of the uh, jetway and then detained uh, for some prolonged period of time um, and questioned. So there's a number of things. So normally what would happen is if there's a no warrant for somebody, they'd arrest them, bring them in, give them a right to counsel, and they could call lawyer if they want, and then they can be interviewed by the authorities. In this case, what it appears is that she was held for a prolonged period of time without given a right to counsel um, that they detained her in order to extract important information from her. So they withheld from her access to a lawyer and if that's true, that's, uh, that's not good. Um, and in addition, it seems that they're alleging that they also obtained from her uh, electronic devices including um, a uh, cell phone uh, an iPad and a personal computer and took them to a private office and then demanded that she surrender her passwords and that's an unlawful search. Now, border security has a right under their own legislation to search passengers and their belongings for safety issues, particularly terrorism. But if these uh officers had in their mind and already knew that they were in possession of a warrant to arrest on an extradition request, then this isn't so much a search for security of the airport. This is a search in order to further the investigation, either for the requesting state, as we call it, the United States, or for uh, the Canadian authorities. So it's fairly significant, um, fairly significant allegations, and they're alleging that the Canadian government is vicariously liable, which is obvious because they employ these these officers. So that's what they're claiming right now, and. It, And, you know, some of it may be true. We don't know. This will have to play its way out.
0: So in your opinion, does this hold water? Is there some valid points here? Well, if
1: if a person is detained and their right to counsel is withheld for three hours and their devices are seized and searched without any consent, without right to counsel, these are constitutional violations. And if the premise of this was to hold her on a ruse in order to get information from her, because they're not advising at that time that you're under arrest for extradition, then these are real breaches and they are serious. What What's going on in the civil action is this is where the disconnect is. In the civil action, this is simply for damages and a declaration. What they want to try and do is have this somehow impact the extradition proceedings themselves, which it may not because the... There's very limited application of the Charter with respect to um, uh, violations, even if they are violations in Canada. But there's no doubt in my mind that they're first trying to have some impact on the extradition proceedings in Canada. Um, and I'm not. maybe it will have ultimately some sort of influence over the Canadian Justice Minister. And then in addition, if she's extradited to the United States, she'll have a trial there. Um, if there is a fair amount, if she gets a judgment in this, she could use that to cross-examine and say that the U.S. authorities were working with Canadian authorities to breach her rights and do all sorts of really bad things. I don't think she'd get a ton of sympathy out of a jury there, but who knows? Uh,
0: are you surprised? Are you surprised in a case like this that the the magnitude of this case that some of these breaches would happen? I mean, you'd think they'd have all their t's crossed and i's dotted for this.
1: Um. I, am a little surprised. Um, you know, if, if, if this is true, these are just allegations, they're unproven. So if, if they didn't arrest her and advisor, you're under, you're, you're arrested under a warrant for extradition, please come with us. Uh, you have a right to speak to duty counsel. I don't think you'll have a lawyer here, but if you do, you can call one and they don't afford her these rights. It's silly. Um, and that, that shouldn't happen. Um, but I don't know what instructions were going on between Canadian authorities, border security, the United States. Who knows? And there may have been some other instructing officers for some particular reason, which we just don't know right now and may play out in the litigation.
0: Is this more about uh, keeping this case in, 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 in PR for, for Huawei and, and the Chinese government than it is actual legalities here? I, I
1: agree with you. I think, from a uh, political yep. standpoint, and I'm not a politician, just a humble lawyer, but I agree that this sort of furthers the Chinese propaganda about how yeah. this woman has been dealt with in Canada, and how you know we talk about civil liberties. Look at what they did to uh, you know, exactly. this person. So I, I think this is this has definitely uh, political propaganda in it, and it's playing out for the narrative of the Chinese government in a large part as well.
0: Will it have that effect? Will it work on Canadians in influencing the Canadian judicial system?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I mean, in, in the extradition process, they're going to have to allege certain breaches. The judge will have to decide in the extradition process whether it's material enough to amount to an abusive process in which extradition should not be granted. Um, I don't know enough about these allegations, and we have not heard from the Canadian government, but unless it's incredibly egregious, and it has to be incredibly egregious in order to have a stay of extradition proceedings, and it's happened a couple of times in Canada, but it's very, very rare, um, it, it may have little to no impact on the actual process, and she'll wind up being extradited to Canada, from Canada to the United States.
0: Is this more about a delay? Does this delay things?
1: It does, and I, I you know, I used to do a, a ton of extradition work, and then after a while I sort of came to the conclusion to go, we're not helping by delaying for two years uh, sitting with an ankle bracelet or sitting in custody. Uh, you might as well try and get the process moving in the jurisdiction where they want you, because in Canada, it, it's virtually a fait accompli if there's a legitimate statement of the case and some legitimate evidence that a person is extradited unless it's, God forbid, to a country where they have the death penalty or something of that nature. So... It is definitely going to cause a delay. I think it is a um, legal tactic to try and influence the criminal process or the extradition process. And, it, you know, it's certainly well grounded from the way it's drafted. But, you know, in the end, I don't know, you know, the, the best way to handle it may be to go to the United States and fight it out there.
0: That's my next question. Uh, why? Are, uh, why is China detaining Canadians? Why are they not detaining U.S. citizens and uh, and 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 trying to stop it from that angle?
1: I, you know, it's or, or does it wait? Or is
0: or, or does that not happen until she's actually in the United States? Well, I, I, I don't know. You
1: know, you and I would be guessing, and I, 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 you know, but I'm astonished at the fact that when we are trying to abide by our international duties. We have international treaties with not just the United States, but tons of countries where we have to honor requests for extradition or requests for evidence under mutual legal assistance. And so we're simply doing what's requested of us by these bilateral or multilateral agreements. And so China is punishing Canadians and doing considerable damage to uh, our relationship with China because we're just acting on the U.S., where it's the United States which has made this request, and it may or may not be, uh, you know, fraud and whatever else they allege, but they're aiming it totally at us at the moment. But I'm absolutely sure there's a fair amount of flack that's coming in the U.S. way, but, you know, I, and if I, I'm sure there's warnings if you're a U.S. citizen, you may not want to be traveling to China right now.
0: Uh, Considering uh, what Donald Trump has said in regard to trade negotiations and the Huawei CFO, considering what John McCallum said, which eventually led to, to his firing... Which was um, stupid, yeah, yeah, and 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 again, what's happening with the SNC Lavalin case and and the questioning of the of the former attorney general? Does right. any of this uh, does any of this hold water in China's case in regard to her, her not being extradited to the United States? And 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 oh. you know, could could the the court decide one thing and and a politician something else?
1: Okay, so let me split up this way. The courts have a legal obligation to uh, to follow the Extradition Act, and if there is sufficient evidence um, and and they're able to find that this is a similar offense that would be in Canada and all their T's and I's are, are dotted, then extradition is granted. Then the, Then it goes to the Minister of Justice. Now, that is a legal function to fulfill, but there is politics involved there. I have no idea what the Justice Minister may or may not do, but I guess they would not do anything different than what the court has, has stated, because to then override a court right. and deny extradition would make us look incredibly weak in front of our international partners, and that would have a very serious impact on people we might want extradited to Canada, and I think it would weaken our position in the international uh, level. Uh, so that would not be a good thing. Uh, and I know some time ago there was some discussions maybe behind the scenes going on between the U.S., China about this Huawei incident, and that may be a way to resolve it if if the U.S. government wants to abandon it. But it's not for us to do that. We have to fulfill our obligations and do it according to the letter of the law. And we're a very fair country, and we we do allow some charter uh, application. We do take this very seriously, and courts have done a very good job about this. So we cannot shirk away from our international obligations because some country is trying to bully us.
0: Uh, Again, considering the Trump and the McCallum and the SNC, Jody Wilson-Raybould thing, China saying, hey, this is hardly rule of law, is that a valid point? Is this hardly rule of law? Yeah, there. Obviously, we're we're preaching to China rule of law. You, you know, there's reasons for uh, detaining the CFO. There's there's a lawful yeah. process to to extradite her. Obviously, China saying, "Well, look what's happening with the situation oh, in regard to." Is there
1: a moral equivalent?
0: Yeah, right. I see what you're saying. No,
1: you know, the SNC Lavalin issue is is, is complex. Um, you know, it, it certainly is very serious in the sense that it does look like uh, members of the PMO as well as the finance uh, office uh, put considerable pressure on uh, the then justice minister and, and probably overstepped the bounds in really asking for a deferred prosecution agreement. So it comes pretty close to a, uh, uh, an obstruction of justice, but it's different in executing citizens. It's different than putting citizens in jail because they want to express their their individual speech and, uh, and political opinions and also although I'm i de- I'm deeply disturbed by the Liberals approach because yes they were concerned about loss of jobs that employees and pensioners should not lose their money and their opportunity to work because of the malfeasance of the corporation the bigger issue that sort of came out to me was that there was a disturbing political element to this that they were extremely concerned about Lavalin leaving Montreal this causing a big rift in in Quebec and that is a mainstay for re-election for the liberals so they're not w- wearing a purely white hat on this one but this is a far cry from what goes on in China and so i don't see a moral equivalent and they're just trying to throw smoke at a fire to try and you know, detract from what the real issues are.
0: Uh, in regard to the SNC Lavalin case, uh, will the new auditor general, sorry, attorney general, general, will the new attorney general uh, grant the prime minister his wish? Will he do what uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould would not?
1: Uh, he better not.
0: He can't. <laughs> can he at this point? I don't see how. Uh, he uh,
1: he really shouldn't. I mean, this has played out so wildly. Um, and there has to be independence of the prosecution uh, in handling the case. You cannot interfere, and then if, if the new attorney general were to do this, that would be clear interference, and it would, it would result in even more damage. I just, uh, you know, it, it, would, it would be an incredibly bad legal decision and an incredibly bad political decision.
0: Joseph Newberger has been with us, criminal lawyer Newberger and Partners LLP. Joseph, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Lots of polls coming in over the weekend uh, in regard to how the public is reacting to to the testimony of Jody Wilson-Raybould and the SNC-Lavalin case, which happened uh, last week. Uh, Forum Research, Angus Reid, Nanos have all done various polls uh, talking about everything uh, in in regard to the ethics of the party, the ethics of the leader, who is the most ethical, uh, your awareness of the issue. Do you know what's going on? Is it going to change how you vote? Uh, Many uh, different pollsters have come uh, at this from various uh, angles. What we do know, uh, and what is in in common with all of them is is it definitely is having an impact and this is resonating with Canadians. How much? I guess we'll find out uh, closer to the election. Let's bring in Peter Graeff, Professor of Political Science McMaster University. He is with us now. Peter, thanks for the time as always. Much appreciated. Good afternoon. So are you surprised that this is starting to uh, make a dent? This is starting to resonate with Canadians and not too deep into the woods. Why do you think that is?
2: Well, Yeah, I am a little surprised. Uh, I think some of the questions around it are fairly uh, obscure, and uh, so you wouldn't expect it necessarily to have broad impact. But, you know, I I suspect, uh, you know, there's a couple of things going on. On the one hand, uh, there has been blanket coverage of a government in crisis, and in fact, you know, uh, surrounded by scandal. Uh, And so I think people uh, pick up with that, and even if they aren't following very closely, uh, it never does well for a government to be portrayed as such. I mean, I think the other thing is that it gives a lot of people who uh, are not necessarily entirely enamored with Justin Trudeau and his government uh, an excuse now for why they're opposed to it uh, or why they, you know, knew all along that uh, Trudeau was a phony or what have you. So uh, I think in that way, too, for a government that's been uh, relatively successful at deflecting uh, complaints and arguments against it, having uh, having Jody uh, Wilson-Raybould come out and and Provide such striking testimony, you know, gives them, you know, someone who can say they stand for against the government and it's useful for them in a way that the opposition leaders have never really been able to, to position themselves nearly as well as a kind
0: of strong, principled antagonist to the prime minister. Talk about the impact of her testimony and what do you think it was about her testimony that did resonate?
2: Well, someone noted, you know, uh, one of the important things to learn from it is to take notes. <laughs> your situation take notes and yeah. so the fact that i mean as a lawyer she uh, understood well that you keep a very good record because your memory is not always great um but when you have notes to start with it's amazing how your memory actually works much better in remembering specific details of situations so i think on the one hand the fact that you know it wasn't just her sitting back and saying here's what i remember but she could refer to notes and uh uh, different records that she kept uh, was very effective. I think the other thing is, is the manner in which she portrayed uh, the people she interacted with and the manner that they spoke. And when she could say, I looked across a table and I looked him in the eye and I said this, and then he said that back, uh, the way uh, her, you know, other protagonists spoke, we could recognize Justin Trudeau and what she said, and we could rec- recognize Jerry Butts and so forth.
0: What about believability? Uh, again, you know, this story on the news only resonates so much. All of a sudden you put that sort of testimony out there, and there was three hours of it, lots of stuff for, as you said, the, the news agencies to, to grab clips of. Um, believability, why is that working here? Is it, is it just the notes, the fact that she did know everything and had everything so meticulously detailed?
2: Well, I think that helps, uh, and especially, I mean, this is framed as a he said, she said, Uh, And so, I mean, that obviously gives a lot of emotional resonance, because I think it's a lot easier for people to imagine themselves in Jody Wilson-Raybould's shoes. Uh, I mean, most people probably have been in situations at some point in their life, even if it's, you know, whether you should steal 10 cents from your dad's wallet to go buy candy, uh, (laughs) where there's been pressure placed on them to do the wrong thing. uh, And where doing the right thing has not necessarily led to being uh, celebrated, but in fact has been, you know, led to paying a price. And so... I think in that way, uh, just structurally, uh, Jody uh, Wilson-Raybould is uh, well-placed in this kind of situation. I mean, the other thing is that the government has been really poor in delivering a clear and coherent message about what happened. I mean, we still don't really have the full story. We got a bit from uh, the Clerk of the Privy Council's testimony. But the story has shifted so often that it's hard to come up with a really strong and credible counter case uh, to what uh, she presented.
0: Uh, in the end, she still claims she's a liberal and going to run uh, in, the, in her B.C. riding. How do you balance uh, telling the truth and not, and not killing the, the party in the next election?
2: Yeah, it's, I, I find this one hard to understand. I mean, I guess in a way she could make the argument that ultimately she was a liberal. She believes in the liberal values. Uh, she doesn't feel that any of those have changed. The issue is the leadership of that party uh, and its need to uh, come clean. So, I mean, uh, you know, one way would be to say that's a kind of a principled stand. Uh, what's happened hasn't made her question what she ran for, what values she represents in politics. It's simply about uh, the propriety uh, of the leaders of that party and ultimately, uh, you know, the prime minister. Um, you know, the other way of looking at it is that she's really uh, trying her darndest to uh, to taint the prime minister, because uh, in a sense, for him to say, well, yes, we agreed that you could be a candidate, but now I'm not going to sign your nomination papers, uh, is, uh, is to push him to take a step further in terms of... Uh, Uh, kind of disavowing her and presumably uh, some of what she represents. And I think that's probably too high a price for him to pay. So she's sticking around to make it very uncomfortable for
0: him. Obviously, uh, her testimony had a great impact. Uh, What can Gerald Butts do to... Uh, as a rebuttal, um, does he double down on what the prime minister has already said? And it appears that's the direction he's going to go in. Uh, I, had one, uh, I had one guest on say that he was going to use this just to sell the next election campaign. What, what can Gerald Butts do to, to, to make this all better?
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, he's someone who seems quite capable of pulling rabbits out of hats. But, uh, I mean, for the most part, I think he's, uh, you know, he's an ace at political communications and at political spin. And so, uh, you know, my most likely guess is that he's going to follow the the clerk of the Privy Council's line, uh, that there was nothing undue in what happened. Uh, He may argue that... uh, while Jody Wilson-Raybould read this as a kind of unceasing and unrelenting campaign to change her mind, that in fact it was haphazard and not really centrally planned, and it was just people speaking about what was concerning them rather than a, you know, a full court press to change her mind. That might be another, you know, way. And, and I guess you're uh, probably quite right that a third thing he's no doubt going to do, and what he can do even more than the Clerk of the Privy Council did, would be to toot the horn of the government and how, you know, this was really just a sideline to all the wonderful and uh, fantastic things that they've done since 2015.
0: Considering where the public is now and how they're reacting in these polls, and as you said, he said, she said, whether in the end it all ends up being, oh, it's just a difference of opinion. All of this happened. It's just a difference of opinion and a different definition of what pressure is or or undue influence. Is the public going to buy that?
2: Um. I think uh, they're less likely to now than they were maybe two, uh, three weeks ago. The government found a way to uh, come clean and uh, bury this. I think they might have managed that. But uh, you know, now you have former attorney, former attorney generals coming out and saying, "No, this is uh, really severe. The prime minister should resign." You know, not just uh, not just conservative ones. Uh, uh, you get a number of law uh, professors coming out and really indicating the severity of this. Uh, I think it, it resonates a bit more deeply. Uh, again, I think you know the I- attention cycle to this is somewhat limited. Other things will come up. I mean, in Ontario, we may be talking about the OPP for the next few days. Mm. We have budget season coming up, and in some ways that speaks much more directly to people's bottom line. Uh, in terms of, you know, what taxes they pay and what services they get and what governments are going to do. So, you now the attention is going to go away, but, uh, you know, for the time being, I think the voices that are coming forward are the ones that are really underlining uh, the significant questions around the rule of law and the and quality before the law, which, again, were somewhat obscure questions, but I think with time, they're getting clearer in the minds of Canadians that, yeah, you don't want... Uh, political interference in in prosecutorial decisions. If you're being prosecuted, uh, you know, you don't want the decision to be based on a party's re-election prospects. You want it to be based on sounder legal principles.
0: Uh, What about uh, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer's response to this, which was uh, ask for resignation? Uh, NDP leader uh, Jagmeet Singh was a little bit more uh, reserved and said there certainly needs to be an investigation before we get to that stage. You know, uh, uh, Trudeau's popularity numbers have dropped, so now he's running neck and neck with the Conservatives. Uh, Many say that this response was too much. Your thoughts?
2: Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the the opposition leaders have the problem that, Really, they've done very little to move the story forward. You know, it broke in a news story. I mean, they did manage to get Jody Wilson-Raybould in front of a committee, but it was really her testimony that we remember, not, you know, her opening statement, not any of the, you know, follow-up questions. Um, and, you know, out of that, uh, again, it's a, it's a journalist who've really kept this uh, alive and asked for further questions rather than us looking at what the, the parliamentarians say. So... In a way, the, the opposition parties have been uh, moved out of this story. Uh, I think Sheer has tried maybe a bit too frantically to make this about him. Uh, you know, the call for resignation, I think, was uh, too much too soon. Uh, you know, it was predictable, uh, regardless of what she'd said, and we almost expected him to say that. Uh, you know, Singh was maybe a bit better in saying, well, we have to see where it goes and we need more information. In some ways, you know, will the Canadian public... I mean, the Canadian public are looking to their politicians and their opinion leaders to to show them a bit how they should parse through all this complex information about what's going on. And there's illegal questions, but then there's also ethical ones about, you know, whether we should be signing these kinds of deferred prosecution agreements and so forth. Uh, uh, And so I think they have to be led along a bit in terms of forming their opinions and uh, to see, you know, to what extent they see this as a real issue.
0: How does this change? And we've talked many times on uh, on how... uh, the Liberals will run Justin Trudeau's campaign heading into the next election. How does this or these series of events, whether it's uh, SNC-Lavalin, whether it's what's happening with, with China now and, and and further information on the detainees uh, there, how does this change his election campaign strategy moving forward?
2: Well, I think it makes it a lot harder. I mean, we've seen in social media, uh, you know, since the weekend, a real push Uh, to make the claim, well, look, the the Harper Conservatives were as bad or worse in in all these ways. And I think in many ways what the Liberals are realizing is that their strategy of uh, really steamrolling the NDP and the Green Party in the early weeks of the next campaign to say, well, look at evil uh, Andrew Scheer. Well, vote for, you know, uh, good old progressive uh, Trudeau to make the difference. It's going to be a lot harder to sell when you know it looks like the prime minister's office, his prime minister's office, was being you know uh, swung around like a rag doll by a bunch of uh, lobbyists from SNC Lavalin. Uh, In that context, uh, his his campaign is going to be much more difficult than the the sort of traditional one of really rolling over uh, the parties to the left of the Liberals in the early weeks of the campaign in order to run against the Conservatives is going to be much harder because I think the Greens and the NDP will be much uh, have a much easier time uh, rallying their supporters by saying, wait a second, Trudeau isn't one of us. He's, he's in the pocket of SNC-Lavalin and the corporate lobbyists.
0: How difficult is it for the Prime Minister's office to have these issues all on the stove at once, whether it is SNC-Lavalin, now again, uh, the, the China detainees in the news, uh, as whether other domestic issues, whether it's a pipeline or what have you. Uh, it's Things seem to be heating up a bit.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think any government, there's uh, any, it's just the, the range and number of issues is such that, yes, there, there's going to be some accidents, <laughs> like in the course of a of a mandate, where things are not managed properly. Uh, I mean, I think maybe the bigger issue for Trudeau in this case is, you know, Canadians probably realize that they're not going to have error-free government, uh, What they are worried more is that you have a government which, in its desire to have perfect issues management, begins to ignore the rules or treat, you know, law as just legal technicalities. Uh, and so you you end up with an arrogance of power which sweeps away the, the necessity to work within the context of law. Uh, and so yeah, I think it's there where we probably see the bigger cost to the government. You know, when when Jody Wilson-Raybould uh, has Jerry Butts saying to her, well, this law is a bad law. It was passed by the Conservatives. <laughs> she comes back and she says, well, it's still it's a law. You know, that's, I think, where we're at, where we have an emphasis on solving problems um, sometimes overruling the necessity to follow the law. Uh, and I think that's where uh, this government is really coming into trouble.
0: Uh, is the pendulum swinging back? Is the, is, are, people, are people speaking up? Are people becoming more aware of what they want? Is this changing politics in Canada or even North America? Is it a tipping point?
2: No, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I don't see anyone really trying to break the mold on this one. I mean, maybe you're seeing it differently than me, uh, but to me, this looks like at least the way the the parties are playing it. Uh, the opposition parties say, "Oh, here's a way to to get our hammers into to Trudeau." Um, uh, the Liberals are obviously trying to save themselves. Uh, citizens, I think, are aware that maybe there are some important issues coming to the fore, but I think they're finding it hard to know. Well, how do you make them really stick? I mean, it does seem like the government uh, probably contravened an important constitutional convention about the independence of the attorney general. Um, but, you know, that may not be something that's illegal. It's just unconstitutional, which is a kind of a strange way about how we, you know, and, and if we didn't like that, we should replace the government. But we don't get to do that for another six months. So, you know, I think it's there that, you know, citizens may be uncertain about how do you actually get accountability in our system.
0: Uh, way back when, uh, during the campaign, the the, PC, or the conservatives uh, were, were using the tagline, he's not ready. Uh, many have said, even Andrew Scheer said just recently, he's, uh, meaning the prime minister is all image, no substance. Um, and, and many have said over, over time that he doesn't have the depth that, that his father did. Great mediator, but, but can't get the two, the two sides together to actually make a decision. Is his leadership looking weak now?
2: Um, well, I mean, I think yes and no. I mean, it's it's hard to see great leadership in what he's done, but he's really benefiting from, you know, two uh, two aspects of the conjuncture. First, the two opposition leaders don't really look much stronger on these. Uh, they don't look mm-hmm. much more ready or more seasoned or having more experience. So in some ways, if I said Drew sheer, I might be worried about bringing that up because it also shines a spotlight on him, I think. And the other is they can look across, the, you know, the to the United States, and they can see someone uh, who probably is much worse in terms of being able to lead uh, in a competent manner. I mean, in a way, Trudeau looks good in comparison, for the most part. I mean, there have been a number of slip-ups, both foreign and domestic affairs, but. Uh, There is a base level of human competence there that you don't see in in the president of the United States. And I think that's really helped Trudeau uh, not get these kinds of critiques because people are saying, well, maybe he wasn't as ready for the job as he could be. But uh, there's a there's a base level of competence there that that compares well.
0: How do the liberals move forward on this, especially with Gerald Butts uh, testimony later on this week? How, How do they how do they turn this around?
2: Well, I presume they're going to treat uh, Butts' testimony as uh, the best, uh, I mean, the best presentation of their case, I would presume. And then I think they're really going to try and say, well, oh, now it's budget time. I mean, I think we've seen in the past few days already they're beginning to say, well, there was that, but now let's talk about climate change, where they, I think, feel that Andrew Scheer's uh, lack of of a platform uh, is going to be quite damaging to the Conservatives. So, uh, I mean, I think for the Liberals, the, way is, is the, the issue is to find a way to turn the page. And so I think for them, they hope butts is the end of it. Uh, obviously, uh, they don't have full control over the situation. Other facts might come out that, that keep this alive. But I think they're hoping for one more week and then on to other things.
0: Uh, will time make the SNC-Lavalin case go away? What about the new Attorney General, uh, David uh, Is Is he just going to give the Prime Minister's office what they want? Is that, is that possible now? Where does it leave that?
2: Well, I mean, I think probably they have to find another escape door. And, I mean, there are, are ways that they can probably uh, change, uh, you know, a 10-year uh, ban on being able to bid on contracts into, I don't know, 10 seconds of flexed arm hang or something like that. I mean, a way to reduce the <laughs> penalty for uh, for having contravened uh, that law. I suspect that's the, the exit that they're going to, to look for as a way of turning the page. I mean, there are a number of uh, areas where the Liberal government in in the justice portfolio hasn't moved that greatly. I mean, a lot of people are pressuring around pardons uh, for cannabis use and, uh, you know, pushing further on that. But there's, uh, you know, a number of other questions around mandatory minimums and so on, where there's probably a way that they could uh, respond to uh, a number of the promises they made in the last campaign. uh, And so bring a different, uh, different set of politics, if you like, to, to that position uh, to get people's minds off snc Lavalin.
0: Peter Grave has been with us, Professor of Political Science McMaster University, and I'm trying to figure out a way to weave in the flexed arm hang, but I can't. Peter, uh, as always, it's been fun. Thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. The first part of a Michael Jackson documentary on HBO, Leaving Neverland, aired last night. Mixed reaction. Uh, Can you still listen to artists like this, especially of the stature of of Michael Jackson, after you uh, hear the allegations that are made in the documentary? Here, we're going to play a bit of a promo uh, of what this is all about.
2: Everybody wanted to meet Michael or be with Michael. And then he likes you.
1: I was seven years old. Michael asked,
2: do you and the family want to come to Neverland?
0: We drive in and forget about all your problems. You were in Neverland. It was a fantasy.
2: The days were filled with magical childhood adventure experiences. Playing tag, watching movies, eating junk food, anything you could ever want as a child.
0: It's like hanging out with a friend that's more your age.
1: Just kid things, they were just doing kid things. He just came across as a loving, caring, kind soul. It was easy to believe that
3: he was just that.
2: Out of a storybook, right? Out of a fairy tale.
3: Hello, Wade. Today is your birthday. So congratulations. I love you. Goodbye.
1: There's no thoughts of this is wrong, anything like that.
2: He told me if they ever found out what we were doing, he and I would go to jail for the rest of our lives.
1: Secrets will eat you up.
0: You feel so alone.
2: I want to be able to speak the truth as loud as I had to speak the lie for so long.
0: All right, there you have it. That's uh, the promo for Leaving Neverland on HBO. Alan Cross is with his music journalist and broadcaster and on the line now. Alan, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. You're very welcome. Uh, Certainly not the first time we've heard these stories. What's different now?
3: We're in the Me Too era. Um, Back then, it was just wacko jacko and tabloid character assassination and his word versus everybody else's word and parents who accepted buyouts from... From the Jackson estate in exchange for silence. Now we're in a different world where we will not stand for this kind of behavior by anyone, and that's what's changed. Um, And uh, I watched this thing last night, and oh, it's a tough watch Mm. because it's extremely graphic. It is. You can. There's just you have to wonder what was going through the minds of the parents and if you hear the testimony of the people the two guys that are involved in the case in this film uh, it's they come across as extremely credible why would they expose themselves to this kind of scrutiny if they if 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 the allegations were not true that's what i keep coming back to
0: so uh, obviously, you know this field. You know these stories. Uh, what is? I didn't see it last night. What is your reaction after viewing this?
3: I'm never going to listen to a Michael Jackson song ever again. Wow! Really? It's it's again. None of this is in the court of law, but the 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 testimony of these two men is so compelling that it's 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 just really tough to square. Uh, Michael Jackson and his music with Michael Jackson to what he did behind the scenes. Now, there is going to be an argument for people who say that you need to separate the artist uh, and his music from the personal life, but I don't know if you can do that. I don't know if we we should do that. There are are ways to, um, you know, you can seek forgiveness and get redemption for any number of things. Um, The public likes a good comeback story. However... There is one exception, and that is being a pedophile. That is child molestation. There is no coming back from that. There is no excuse for that. There is no uh, avoiding the shunning and the pariah status of of, of doing that. Um, And, you know, you just ask, for example, Gary Glitter. Gary Glitter, very famous glam pop star Mm -hmm. uh, in in England in the early 1970s. And, you know, Rock and Roll Part Two, one of his songs, was one of the biggest – sports anthems of all time. You never hear it anymore because the guy was convicted of uh, pedophilia and uh, uh, dealing with underage child prostitutes in Southeast Asia. So he's, he's doomed. He's gone forever. There's a band from the UK called Lost Prophets who had a singer named Ian Watkins who's been sentenced to jail for 30 years because of some terrible, terrible things he did to uh, the uh, babies of a of an acquaintance. Uh, there's just no coming back from that. There isn't. And if, if what Jackson said, I don't care how big he is. I don't care how famous he is. If, if these stories are, are, and I don't care what his motivations were. If you watch the documentary and if these allegations are true, I mean, they are nothing short of sexual child abuse. So what do you, what do we do about the guy? Well, he's dead. So he doesn't have to answer the, answer to to any of these charges does it matter
0: does it matter how we feel because he is dead
3: well is that any
0: justification at all
3: no it's not uh the justification the issue is with the michael jackson estate who have done an extremely good job of keeping jackson uh relevant in terms of moneymaker you know with the uh with the stage musical, with the reissues of the albums, with the licensing of the material, with you know, all the other stuff. I mean, Michael Jackson, had this not come up, would be a reliable generator of revenue for the Jackson estate for decades to come. Now all that is in complete, utter jeopardy because we're, I get the feeling that the majority of people aren't going to turn a blind eye to what this documentary tells us.
0: Uh, Why? You talked about the Me Too movement now. That's the difference between uh, today and and, and yesteryear. Why didn't we even even over and above the Me Too movement? Why did we not see? Well, we did see this 20 years ago. Why did we look at it differently? How did we justify it? Because he was popular because we didn't have social media and, and, and the connection that we do now. How did we justify it then and not now?
3: I I guess, I guess, I I think, I think you put the nail on the head. The the idea is that outrage is spread much more quickly thanks to social media. And I think that we're a lot more educated and aware as a society of of the evils that some people can do, especially when it comes to children. And we're not going to take it anymore. And, And nor should we. So, it's 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 the stories have been building and building and building and building. And now uh, it comes to a point where they can't be ignored anymore. The stories are out in the uh, world for wider discussion. And uh, everybody wants in on this discussion. Now, one of the things that uh, we're going to see over the coming days is what are radio stations who still play Michael Jackson's music. And there are lots of them. What are they going to do? Are they going yeah. to drop his music? Just like, for example, uh, radio stations dropped Gary Glitter, like radio stations dropped Ryan Adams after the Me Too movement uh, happened uh, and his allegations came out, just like they dropped uh, music from Lost Prophets. Uh, how do you continue? How do you justify, especially since Michael Jackson's songs are played on you know, family-friendly radio stations and adult hits radio stations, which are supposed to be extremely um, inoffensive. And, and and you know, good for the whole family. What do you? you know, how can you justify playing this music and continuing to enrich him and his estate, uh, knowing what you know about his music, or knowing what you know about his his uh, his deeds with children?
0: Uh, do you think we'll spend the next several weeks uh, debating the validity of this, the credibility yes. of
3: all these people? Absolutely, we will. I mean, it's already begun. Uh, you know, <sighs> another issue that will work for and against those men in the the documentary is, well, I feel it to be true, therefore it must be. This is something that's come up uh, over the last four or five years. If I feel it true, my alternate facts tell me that this is true or false. So there'll be some debate with that thrown in. The other debate will be for things like the Michael Jackson uh, uh, um, musical, which can't find sponsors Hmm. because of this. Uh, the BBC, BBC Radio 2, which is the big family-friendly nationwide radio station in the UK, uh, they announced uh, this morning that they are dropping all Michael Jackson's music. And uh, the UK was a huge market for him, so to have his music not being available on the radio anymore is uh, is, is a big deal. The BBC doesn't. Uh, Moves in mysterious ways, but not this time.
0: Hmm. Uh, what about uh, many have questioned where the parents were in all of this? Does the doc explain any of that or touch on any of that? How did the parents well, get sucked in?
3: That I think the parents were sucked in by the fame of it all. I mean, I only I've only had a chance to see part one, and the parents figure uh, uh, very very prominently in dark one uh, part one. They talk about you know how uh, oh they were so you know enraptured by Hollywood and how the Uh, you know, how a big star would come to their house and treat them like family. But then now they're looking back on it going, how did I not see this? How did I not think that something weird was happening? Um, When we went on tour with Michael Jackson and why did I let my boy stay in Michael Jackson's suite? And why, as the tour went on, did that suite get further and further and further away from my room, so I couldn't supervise things? Uh, but you know, Jackson was such a a childlike character. They looked at him and they they thought, well, no, I, he's he's like this this goody Peter goody Peter Pan type character. He would never do anything wrong, would he? Hmm. Apparently, so.
0: After watching the first, uh, uh, the first part of this, what surprised you the most about all of
3: this? Because, again, you know this story. What stood out for you? Uh, the parents. The parents who were willing accomplices in this whole thing. You know, I, I mean, <laughs> you think about your mom and dad. Would you let them, when you're 10, would you let them, uh, some, some, some guy uh, who had a reputation by that time, by the way, uh, of being weird at the very least, Would you let your boy spend time alone with him? Let alone take him on the road? Let alone let him sleep in that guy's room or suite or whatever? Like, really? You would? That's the thing I think that shocked me the most. The other thing that that I I noticed more uh, was the, the candor of the two men that are the subject of the documentary. Just saying what they have to say, recounting what happened between them and Jackson in such graphic detail, I can't, I can't imagine. I, I was watching this cringing you know, how hard that must be for them to talk about. And if it's, if it's that cruel and graphic, you know, what do they have to benefit from lying? What do they have to benefit from not telling the truth, for what actually happened? Um, the only thing is that's you know you know there could be a lawsuit. and there is already a hundred million dollars lawsuit filed by the Jackson estate against HBO. But uh, everybody seems to have done their due diligence, and that uh, this lawsuit will maybe have no uh, no merit whatsoever. So do you think some
0: people will still listen to his music the way they used to? or uh, do you think this this will this will be widespread that that everybody who's got a brain in their head will think this way i mean again and you've answered this question does the life of a musician does the life of a musician change the way we feel about the music
3: that they've made is... well first of all there are the the michael jackson truthers who believe that uh, everything is made up this is all a big conspiracy they're out to get yeah. their hero and that, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like Trump supporters in the sense that, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to believe anything bad said about our hero. So there's one thing. The, the next thing is you're, you're going to be able to hear Michael. If you want to hear Michael Jackson, you'll be able to hear where, whenever you want. You've probably got the CDs or the albums. And, uh, unless something happens with, uh, Spotify or Apple Music or Google Music or any of the other ones, you'll be able to get it online. So you will be able to, to yeah. listen, uh, wherever you want. A more interesting question would be if radio stations get on the bandwagon and start dropping his songs are they going to make a big deal about it in fact are they going to announce we have stopped playing michael jackson much like uh bbc did or are they just going to weed out the songs quietly and not mention it at all hoping that people will notice that it's just gone away i i don't know if there's an. i mean you might want to take a stand but then that's that's comes with its inherent risks, or you just may want to take the easy way out and just drop the songs and move on.
0: Where is the line? Because we're certainly seeing this with R. Kelly, and again, these are not new accusations. Uh, and, and and he see, you know things seem to be coming back to haunt him. Uh, artists certainly less severe scenarios like a Headley or whatever. Where do you draw the line here? <laughs> and, 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 as soon as as soon as we've established this for Michael Jackson, is is that the template?
3: that the template. Well, you know, a lot of Canadian radio stations dropped Headley when the Jacob Halbert stuff came out. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was one in um, you know, the Ryan Adams stuff that we're hearing is, is, is another level of, of awfulness, but you know, where, you know, the, the Gary glitter and the, in the Michael, I mean, the, the Gary glitter and the Michael Jackson level of awfulness is, is, is the worst Um, How can – it's really tough, you know, to justify uh, continuing to support the estate um, by continuing to patronize his music when it's it's, it's clearly obvious that the man was an abuser of children. That's what it comes down to. I don't know what the line is. Yeah. And you're going to, you know, people are going to have to make these decisions for themselves. Um, I will watch part two tonight, and, and you know, maybe my opinions will change. But based on what I saw part one, wow. Um, what again, if this
0: increases sales, increases well, the, it probably the market probably music? And
3: I'll, you know, Just, I'll say that, because what what ha- it won't necessarily increase sales, but it'll certainly increase streams. This is something that we've seen. Certainly awareness. Market. Well, awareness, and, and uh, you'll also... Um, you know, with R. Kelly and uh, the rapper Extant um they we went, when Spotify tried to take uh, his music off off uh, the, the, all the playlists, uh, his streams went up. So, you know, people were yeah. wondering what's the deal here, and you know, and hey, you can't tell me what not to listen to, so I'm going to listen to it anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, so it's possible. It's, it's it's very possible. But again, if we play the long game, it doesn't look good.
0: Different for musicians as opposed to actors. Say someone like a Kevin Spacey, say a musician. Does it mean, you know, lots of people say, oh, I can't watch, you know, certain people on TV or, or movies anymore for a certain reason. Same sort of thing with music or actors?
3: My wife and I had this discussion last night. She won't watch a Woody Allen film ever again. And she mm-hmm. was a big Woody Allen fan. She uh, has a, uh, I mean, we used to love uh, Kevin Spacey movies. Yeah. And, and she, she won't watch a Kevin Spacey movie anymore. So again it'll come down to the individual um but you know how do you look at a person on the screen and separate from what you know they did with the character that you're watching i mean in 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 an ideal world everything would be compartmentalized but it's it's not now it's 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 really really tough as
0: music as music fans with michael jackson do we need more proof
3: I think we'll start getting more proof. I think these two men who came out with the leaving Neverland allegations may prompt others to speak out once they see what's been said. Uh, you know, there are a number, you know, <laughs> are we going to hear from Macaulay, uh, Macaulay Culkin, for example, Yeah, <laughs> who was a really close confidant of Michael Jackson when he was younger. Um, and there, were, uh, I bet uh, his phone.
0: Uh, I, I bet his phone's ringing today. Oh,
3: you—you you better believe yeah. it. You better. I, I think maybe some other victims will come forward. I—I I, I don't know. I, and again, you know what's interesting to me is that this isn't. Horribly surprising because we've we've heard the stories before, and you know, remember this is a guy that we used to call Wacko Jacko. Mm. This is the guy that used to, you know, he had a, 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 a his chimpanzee. Yeah. yeah, he dangled his uh, yeah. baby over a balcony. He right. bought the Elephant Man's bones. There were stories about him sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber. Yeah. I mean, there were you know, just a, a, a weird dude all in all. And people might be willing to believe that because of his previous um, engagement and weirdness, this is, um, this is just the next step. I don't know.
0: Alan Cross has been with us, music journalist and broadcaster, the first part of Michael Jackson documentary on HBO, Leaving Neverland, aired last night, the final tonight. Alan, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated.